the gist. Innovate, scale, succeed. Tembani is a 33-year-old tech CEO, e-commerce strategist, on-demand logistics specialist, and turnaround plan practitioner. As CEO at OrderIn, Tembani is a highly talented 120-person team across strategy, logistics, product design, engineering, and various other departments. He's also responsible for the organization's goal setting, design, and culture building. We're so happy to have him on the gist with us today. Okay, Timani, thank you so much for joining us today on the gist. Um, to start off with, perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, um, your transition from, from consulting to corporate, um, personally, what drove that for you? We just want to know as much about you as possible. Well, thanks for having me, uh, ladies. Um, so, born and raised in Zim. Uh, it was a pretty interesting period. It was, uh, I'd say, the, the the years that everyone started talking about a lot, you know, like the hyperinflation and all this stuff. Um, made it to KZN. Uh, I did varsity there. Uh, ended up doing finance, economics, and law. Literally every single subject uh, that I didn't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, and then I get into banking, and it's really my father's dream, right? And I'm like, hell no, this is not it. Luckily, I had a mate who was the kind of the chief of staff or a managing director at a big IT outsourcing firm, and he introduced me to that life and. That's how. That's really how I started my career. Um, so I was three years as a chief of staff, um, and then I ended up at McKinsey and Company, like you, like you mentioned. Uh, and then the great trek into into the tech world, right, into the startup world, and and here I am. Okay, I mean, so I guess we see the, the transition. Um, so in your current role, maybe what is order in? Tell tell us the the people. What you currently do? What is the, the company? Yeah, uh, I, I'm still trying to figure out what I do, right? Uh, <laughs> it's, such a, it's, such a, it's such a unique space being, um, like having the privilege to lead a large group of people in a startup that is always changing, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think my main role at Order In is to figure out what the direction is. And um, interestingly, we, we changed that direction since I arrived at Order In. Um, we were a food delivery app at some stage, uh, right about 2018, when I arrived, we started thinking hard about whether or not we can really compete in that space. Right. Uh, a lot of people knew us. We were kind of like the, like the people's brand, but usually the people's brand isn't the, the scaled brand, you know, like Uber Eats and Mr. D. And, um, we thought to ourselves, it's going to be a bloody fight if we stay here. Maybe let's figure out what we can do with our current uh, technology and see if we can serve a different market. So, you know, successfully we pivoted the business and now what ordering is, is pretty much a delivery as a service business. You know, um, anyone who has an app or a website who needs 30 minute deliveries or 60 minute deliveries or same day deliveries, um, we're the company that you call to help you with the fulfillment side of things. So, I mean, thank you, Timbrani, um, just for explaining that. I mean, maybe just to take a step back, um, I mean, you mentioned, you know, you, in 2018 when you joined and kind of competing 
with Uber and this delivery. I mean, that was the question we were asking ourselves. We were like, have you ordered on order in? I don't know if you have. Um, and so we're you know, wondering, like, you know, as yeah. the you know, as the first movers into the space, sometimes you don't always win. You know, you, you could have been, yeah. been the 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 first guys with the idea, but actually not necessarily able to scale. And so what did you think about in terms of pivoting? Because you're, you're making it seem really easy. And I guess hindsight gives you that benefit, but it is difficult, right? So um, I don't know if you can talk us through that in terms of some of the things you guys worked through to then... Mm-hmm decide you know what's delivery as a service and we've got some questions around what that actually looks like yeah you know um i i first have to give a lot of credit to any business that's pivoted ever right it's it's an extremely daunting task because the first thing that you have to do is you just got to change everyone's mindset right and that's a hard thing to change so besides the actual business itself it's just the culture and the way the team thinks about you and the way that everyone else thinks about you. I mean, for some, at some stage, people thought ordering was dead, right? For like two years, mm-hmm. everyone's like, whoa, this business, where is this business? Um, and I think the, the main reason we, we thought it was a good reason to change was um, strategically it just made sense. You know, like you look at NASPERS and NASPERS for the last, uh, I'd say five, six years, they have literally carved out money from Tencent in China mm-hmm. just to focus on food delivery. Mm-hmm. Then you look at Uber, right? And Uber is mobility first, sure. But the, the real uh, utilization driver, the thing that really makes uh, the business tick is the foods business, the eats business. Yeah. So, so for us, it was like, Okay, yes, we started in 2012. Yes, we are the first food delivery app in South Africa, but we don't have the kind of bank that these businesses have. Yeah, yeah. And we don't have the type of resources that these businesses have, right? Um, so you you just it's a hard decision to make. Like you can imagine for a for any founder or for any group of shareholders, the mindset switch. You know, you've been you've been doing this thing for like six years and now you have to switch your whole mindset. That's a hard thing to do. So um, I have to commend everyone at, at Order In and, and, and the whole group of people. Um, successfully, we made that switch. And uh, ever since, we are now uh, the target, right? In, in the space that we're in, a lot of people are chasing what we are doing because we started um, as the first mover in this space as well. And it is funny, like you say, being the first mover is not always being the best mover. Um, it is really uh, a game of thrones, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> no, fair, fair. And maybe, so in a situation like this, how do you sort of keep up team morale, right? I think, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us sort of enter into careers because we know where the starting point is and the end point is, and we join companies because we know where the start, starting point is and the end point is. How do you keep up team morale of people who sort of joined at a time where they thought they knew where the business was going and then you sort of have to pivot and like, obviously, that's fine from a an exec CEO standpoint, and you can see it. But people who might not necessarily mm-hmm. be in the details and the numbers don't see why you have to adapt. Yeah, how do you ensure? How do you ensure they sort of are on board? Um, they get it, and they sort of you retain them within the business. Yeah, great, great question. So, so coming back to the, the, the last point around, um, you know, the hardest part is changing people's mindsets. 
I think humans, humans in general are happy with change as long as they understand it, right? So a big part of the job is really great communication and really painting the art piece of the future, like letting people clearly see it and helping them to interpret it. So the, the biggest part of the job, I think, was changing the culture. And at the time when I arrived, we were like 35 people and it was five people in product and technology. That's the full-time stuff. And, and there was maybe like an additional 30 people in customer service. Now, and that's for a food delivery app. I, I, I'm not sure how much you guys know about the, the tech space, but that, that's not a tech company. That's a customer service company, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so the, the hardest part, the starting point was really changing the, the culture and saying, look, whatever we do, we have to be a tech business. Um, and so you have to paint that picture. And the first people, kind of like you're saying around morale, the first people that ask questions are the people who are non-technical. Right, because they're like, what does this mean for for, for me? Mm-hmm. Um, but you you gotta paint the picture. You gotta tell them, look, the better we get at technology, the easier your 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 role will become. The more you can impact, right? The, the more tools you have, the more impact that you can create. The better our service, etc. So half the job is obviously setting up the culture structurally, and then the other half of the job is the communication and and just painting a picture. And um, I don't think uh, there's any scenario where you get it perfectly right. Um, I think there's always some people who really bought into the culture the way it was, and there's very and it's hard to change those people. And then uh, and then the rest is the the new people or the people who are willing to to kind of embrace the change. Those are the people that you really really focus on, um, and you do whatever it takes to really foster that energy from those people. Uh, and it, it's, a, it's a really delicate balance, but I'd say just a really clear mission, really clear vision, paint the picture, um, you know, over communication, like literally transparency on steroids. Yeah. And, and then the final piece I think is you, you gotta structurally design the organization for morale in the future. You, you know, you're gonna change again. You know, you're gonna experience another like, uh, like difficult period. So, so when you hire, you hire people who are resilient. When you, um, when you do your personal development programs or your, your learning and development programs, it's all thinking about resilience and change and that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's not easy. Um, it, 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 when it works though, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So then I guess, Timbani, then looking forward, I mean, can you describe this new offering of where, where ordering has moved to? So what is delivery as a service? Who, who are your customers now? Like, who are you competing with? Because, you know, we're seeing, you know, Discam has a delivery service on demand. Woolies Dash, Checkers 60, Pick and Pay app. So how are you positioning yourselves to compete? Like, what, what, what is the future looking like? Um, maybe let me take a step back and, and maybe paint a picture of, of um, how the space has grown because uh, that might give you a bit of a, an idea of who the players are. Okay. Um, but so I mentioned we were 35 people. We're now about 120 people now. Um, you know, we've 10x our product and technology team. It's a, it's a really awesome team. One of the better teams in Cape Town, maybe even in SA. Um, and the reason... Say so yourself. 
I mean, if I do say so myself. Um, but uh, but the part of the reason why we focus on people so much is because um, this is a long-term game. And, and so what's really happening here? What's happening here is uh, traditional brick and mortar in South Africa was, was king or queen. Um, and really um, corporates or big retailers uh, have had no incentive to really invest in e-commerce because yeah. it's a concentrated, concentrated market. In, in South Africa, there's, it's like clicks. It's a click of grocery providers. It's a click of pharm- pharmaceutical providers. It's a click of fashion providers. It's not as big as, as uh, the USA or China or Europe. So they've, they've had no incentive. And then COVID came. And then it was like, oh, no, like this is, this is hectic. No one's coming out of their rooms, lockdowns everywhere. Geez, like we've got these stores, we're paying all this, these like fixed costs or, you know, these costs that we can't, you know, uh, like we can't make any money off this stuff anymore. And I think that's when people start thinking about this really seriously. Okay. In, in that time, uh, we already had jumped ahead. So we had partnered with Bottles in 2019 before COVID hit. Bottles is a, was a liquor delivery app, um, which Pick and Pay then bought later. And and we partnered with McDonald's to build the e-commerce channel. Post-COVID, uh, literally uh, courier companies plus a few uh, delivery as a service companies, kind of like us, just started spawning up. But everyone is in the early stages. So our competition right now, just to answer your question, really, you're talking about, um, you know, ordering, which was a first mover in, in this space, in the delivery as a service space. Um, and then you talk about a few others like Pickup and Warm Drop and uh, One Card that just got p- purchased by MassMart. Mm-hmm. Um, Pickup just got p- uh, purchased by uh, CarTrack or Karoo with like five zeros or five O's. Oh, um, that's big. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't understand it, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's like there's, there's logic behind the name. Um, there's another one I think called uh, Hola. I think it's H-A-U-L-A and they're like, whatever it is, we'll pick it up and deliver it. Like just, I saw that one as well. Yeah. So you see, so then there's like deliver with two E's. And so there's like a lot of uh, smaller players that are coming into the fold. But we're talking about the big players, the players who are powering, you know, your, your checkers 6060s or your pick and pay ASAPs or your Willie's dashes. Mm-hmm. Or your 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 mass smart e-commerce like plays and strategies, uh, it's really ourselves, um, warm drop pickup, and I'd say the courier space is starting to transform a little bit. Mostly just RTT though, okay. um, but everyone else I think is a small player. And and what will happen? Kind of kind of coming back to the the evolution of the space, depending on how you you track the numbers, uh, we're maybe at like. Five to six percent e-commerce adoption now, right? The reports will say less. The reports will say two to three percent. Um, but the the next couple of years, I think, will start to create some big players, right? Like Vodapay has just launched a new super app. They're going to need delivery services in some way or form. Uh, MassMart's got a big e-commerce strategy. They're going to need besides purchasing one card and one drop. They're going to need like proper last mile logistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fashion companies are going to start moving really quickly. 
um, like Pep and and TFG and and you know Mr. Price. So we'll start to see quite some movement in the next two years. But for now, the biggest players still remain us, warm drop, pick up, and maybe RTT. Okay, so, so I guess what you're saying is you guys are more, you're, you're the platform, right? So whether it's a, a bike or it becomes a car in time that's, that's supporting this last mile delivery, whoever the B2B partner is on the front end, I'm not going to see when I order my um, clothing from whoever that it's come through an ordering driver, right? So is that is that what you're talking to? Yeah, pretty much. So imagine this, right? Imagine you have a your own pick and pay store. Um, how are people ordering from pick and pay right now? So pick and pay, uh, which was bottles before, they own the the app that you use. So you go on pick and pay ASAP. You download the app from uh, you know Apple Store or uh, the Play Store, um, and then you you make your order, and that order goes to the store right? Your store. Now in your store, they are what you call pickers. It's people who are pretty much picking your order. Mm-hmm. They've got a piece of technology. They, that technology is pick and paste technology, right? Yes. Once they've picked your order, they hand that, over, that order over to the, the driver. Now for that to happen, you can imagine this is, there's like thousands of orders happening at, at, at one time, right? For that to happen, you need a piece of technology that's saying Tatenda's ordering, Bukhaya's ordering, Timbani's ordering, so-and-so's ordering, like there's thousands of orders at the same time. You need to allocate all those orders to a driver. That piece of technology that allocates, it's like an automated dispatch uh, platform. It's a delivery management platform. That technology is ours. Okay, understood then the driver network is plugged into that piece of technology. So essentially we are like an air control, like center, you know, like you have multiple planes coming in and you need to be able to allocate a plane to a highway or allocate a a plane to a terminal. That's what our technology does. It allocates orders from pick and pay McDonald's and all our other clients to the delivery platform and then to the thousand plus drivers that we have in our network. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I guess the other transition is then you're moving away from just bikes, right? So any vehicle potentially could be doing that delivery. Yeah, I think I think not just not just bikes and also not just big enterprises. Um, I, I, I mean, I actually posted this on LinkedIn. There's absolutely no reason why any business shouldn't be able to deliver goods and services in under 60 minutes. There's no reason, right? Mm-hmm. Um and the reason why that is right now is because the big retailers can pay for it. That's the biggest reason. But I think, I think all in all, we need to find ways to democratize the space and we need to find ways to provide like real proper earning opportunities in the space, right? Essentially, all you need is a certain type of fleet to get certain goods and services from point A to point B. And then you need technology to do that. And I can talk a bit about our tech. Our tech has no discrimination on the vehicle whatsoever. It doesn't matter whether it's a scooter. It doesn't matter whether it's a car. It doesn't matter whether it's a bucky. It doesn't matter whether it's a taxi or a five-ton truck. What matters is the service. Mm-hmm. And for McDonald's, we provide a 30-minute service. You know, you get your, your, your burger and fries in 30 minutes. For pick and pay, we offer a 60-minute service. For SMBs, 
which is part of our plans, we plan to, uh, to offer a same-day delivery service, right? So there's no, nothing stopping you from plugging into any vehicle whatsoever. No, understood, understood. Just maybe taking a bit of a gear shift a little bit, and I think we've sort of gathered already because there seems to be a lot of things happening uh, at order in, but how much do you think an entrepreneurial mindset has like has sort of played a role in the work you're doing and your role as CEO, especially with everything that's sort of happening and changing, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, how much do you have to think like an entrepreneur, even with a corporate that's a bit older like this, but still a startup? Yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, it was a mind F, yeah. right? It was a mind yeah. F. Uh, moving from McKinsey to OLX first, so. So before I got to order in, I was at OLX, part of the, the, the sorry, the NASPAS group. Mm-hmm. And um, it was still a corporate because it's a NASPAS company, but it was 45 people and um, it was startup That was such a big mind shift because in, in a small business like that, um, the roles are blurred. Ownership is, is a construct that is very different to ownership in corporate like everyone in a startup feels some sort of responsibility to the success of the business right so yeah i think if yeah. you if you're in a small business you you almost have to have an entrepreneurial mindset it's almost you don't have a choice um also because you're going up against uh so many tailwinds like Again, I just have to shout out to all the entrepreneurs. Shout out to you guys for starting the gist and getting here. It's hard. It's hard growing stuff. Um, and you have to hustle. You, there's no, there's no uh, way around it. You can't do the corporate things in a, in a startup business or in a, in a small business. So I, I think my, um, my entrepreneurial starting point started in university, um, but it was really tested when I got to order in. Um, and it's funny, you, you, if, you're, if, if you generally like solving cool problems and if you generally like people and if you like creating impact, you, you figure it out. Do you think entrepreneurs then are born or, or made? Like, do you think, um, and, and should everybody be trying to be, not maybe not an entrepreneur, but carrying an entrepreneurial mindset? And if so, how do you cultivate that? Yeah, um, I mean, let's unpack what an entrepreneur. Let's unpack what an entrepreneurial mindset really is. Like, because something you unpacking, hey? Because <laughs> you guys can't help uh, it. <laughs> man, I, I, I was trying to avoid that word just to avoid <laughs> who I really am in my core. But okay, <laughs> uh, but I like an entrepreneur. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, so, what's entrepreneurship? Entrepreneurship is. Uh, for lack of a better term, is war. Because, because from, the, from the time you start, it's a race against time and money, literally, right? Mm-hmm. You have a certain amount of money in the beginning and you have a certain amount of time to prove that this business is going to work. And, and then you have to fight. So I think there's no... I don't, I don't think entrepreneurs are born. I don't think entrepreneurs are necessarily uh made i think they're forged i think you're forged by a couple of things either circumstance like you have to be an entrepreneur because you have to make money for yourself for your family and then you go to war you know you figure out in a short period of time how to make money that's one one use case 
I think the other use case is you've got a brilliant idea um, and then you have to forge yourself. <laughs> like entrepreneurs don't know how to do this stuff when they start. I don't know if you've ever read about the founder's dilemma, mm. but, uh, but founders are, are really good at figuring stuff out. And in the process, they are forging an entrepreneurial mindset. They are like creating it on the fly. They, they are like building it along the way. Uh, because they have to, because that's what war does to you, right? Uh, it, it changes you. Um, so I think anyone can be an entrepreneur. The environments just need to be right. Like it's either necessity or it's a great vision or it's a passion or it's a, you know, um, I don't know, like a personal situation. There's many reasons people become entrepreneurs and, uh, and, and I feel anyone can do it. Whether you should do it, different story. <laughs> I really like that. The like like entrepreneurship is war. Yeah, I, I actually really like that framing because it's you don't do it alone. You know what I mean? Like you 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 fight, but like fighting a battle, like every day you're pushing through. I really like that. Yeah, it's it's like one of those things where it's actually one of my favorite memes where they're like, oh, you know what? I I was so tired of like my nine to five, so I so I quit my job to like be an entrepreneur. And now I just work 24 seven. Like even worse, you're actually at war. Actually at war. You didn't know the comforts yeah. you had. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and look, the, the people who uh, win in entrepreneurship are the people who win, win wars, right? Because again, wars are long. Wars are bloody. Wars need resilience. Wars need, people who are willing to, um, you know, find interesting tactics to get past interesting problems along the way and just keep on going. A lot of entrepreneurs that succeed are people that just keep on going and they, they just won't die. Um, and it's funny because if you, if you pay attention to a lot of the entrepreneurial stories out there, somewhere in there, they talk about resilience. They, they just talk about keeping on going. They like, it's it's because you you the first thing you have to do as an entrepreneur is just survive the difficult part, and then the second thing is is, is the thriving. Mm-hmm. No, I hear you. I hear you. Okay, so you have a lot of experience, obviously, within e-commerce, um, and I think it's actually just like a really interesting place to be with COVID, etc., and everything that people are sort of going through. Where do you think is the next frontier in South Africa's e-commerce journey? Um, and where do you think the gaps are in the market? If we if we wanted to quit our jobs tomorrow, <laughs> imply yeah. ourselves, tell us, tell us the ideas, or find yeah. businesses to invest in that are doing so fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, again, kind of have to think through the context. So, if if we are about five six percent e-commerce adoption, we are where the UAE was five years ago. And we are where the USA was 11 years ago, right? Or like 13 years ago, actually. Um, so the first thing you, first thing we do is we look at where the USA was. We look at where um, uh, UAE was. We look at where India was. We look at where China was. And Africa, obviously, Africa and South Africa are really different. But you, you start to pick up some trends. I think the first big trend is that... Um, uh, if, all retail will go online, some some way or form, right? Uh, it will take time. It's not going to happen in five years or ten years, but 
I think the big retailers will all build e-commerce channels. That's number one. Um, number two is they're all going to need digital partners to do it because they have to do it fast, right? So um, they're going to need uh, uh, digital marketing businesses to partner with. They're going to need digital um, uh, design or product uh, companies to partner with. They're going to need fulfillment companies to partner with, um, particularly the big retailers. I think the second major trend is around SMEs. I think SMEs, uh, there will be a, a democratized product that, that launches for SMEs. Uh, if, if not by order in, someone else will do it. And I think uh, SMEs will have to become really good at selling online. They'll have to learn how to sell on Instagram. They'll have to learn how to sell on Facebook. They'll have to learn how to sell on WhatsApp. They have to learn how a digital business works. So I think for a lot of the SMBs out there, uh, it's a good time to build out your online shop because this is the time where you get an advantage. If you got a hair business, for instance, uh, I just I'm giving an example because I know some friends in, in the hair hair and beauty space. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the time to have a kick-ass online shop because if, if you learn this space first, it, it's so difficult for everyone else to follow you. But I'll see I see a lot of that in SMB. And then I see some really interesting rural solutions, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, the taxi one is not far off, to be very honest with you. I had a conversation with a really prominent businessman in, in, in Durban who owns a couple of uh, uh, spa franchises recently. And he was explaining how the taxi model works with his spas and how it's linked to grant money and all those things. I think somehow, some way, the informal, commu- uh, the informal economy is going to be empowered by certain types of technologies. So the, the, the first is the fulfillment technology. The second is the payments technologies, right? Like, mm-hmm. like Yoko and, um, you know, being able to have wallets so you can be banked, right? So Vodapay is one, MTN also has a wallet. Um, I think payments and fulfillment and like a democratized e-commerce structure, those things will power the informal economy. And what I think we'll see is we'll see tons of small businesses spurring up in the e-commerce space, and then we'll see consolidation at some stage. Um, but, but whoever wins is the, is the player who has the skills. Whoever can build the skill sets long-term will, will win in the space. You've highlighted a lot of interesting areas where I think people could be finding opportunities to either invest or start something or uh, you know, join that journey because you're right. Like, I think if we're only at, what did you say? 6%, 5, 6% e-commerce adoption is lots, there's lots and lots. We, we've got like a, a wonderful breeding ground. And then that's just SA, right? We're not even extrapolating that to the rest of the continent. So I guess that's the next question for you is, you know, what's next for order in? Um, you've been very South African focused, but your new delivery as a service, your new technology could be, replicated and scaled to other markets um is that something you guys are thinking about what what comes next yeah we're definitely thinking about that um i i i I say this tongue-in-cheek because obviously it's a really competitive space but the the one thing that we're very public about is the fact that there's no reason why any business shouldn't have shouldn't be able to to, to provide 60 minute deliveries or same day deliveries. So the, the first thing for us is really powering uh, small businesses. Um, we, we think there's like such a, the, the type of impact that small businesses would make if they can move goods and services 
just as well as big retailers. Can you imagine? Can you imagine uh, you launched a uh, clothing business tomorrow and you could provide a service just as good as Checker 6060, right? That's, that's incredible. Mm. That's the type of stuff that, that excites me. That's the type of stuff that I think Orderin is really excited about right now. We, we really want to provide a platform for SMBs to, be, to provide the exact same services as the big retailers. And, and uh, we've got an answer for that. In terms of geographies, uh, it's a consistent conversation that we're having because this is really about technology, right? And it's about great partnerships and it's about building uh, uh, ecosystems of you know, drivers, like hundreds or thousands of drivers, an ecosystem of SMBs or merchants or retailers, um, an ecosystem of end customers. So there's nothing really that's stopping us from international expansion except for the money. <laughs> and, uh, and really at the moment, our focus area is powering SMBs and we'll take it from there. Quickly, before we, we let you go, uh, a couple of things you live by as, as a CEO, as, as an entrepreneur, as an entrepreneurial CEO, do you have any like life motors that like sort of power you through the day? Yeah, um, sure. Mm-hmm. I don't, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Like, I think, I think, uh, I, I think I, I, so I wish I was the type of person that um, was like motivated. <laughs> that sounds, that sounds, that sounds okay. so strange. It sounds strange, but I, I, I struggle with external motivation, like getting motivation from from external sources. It's really about like my internal, where I am internally, okay. and um, and so I spend a lot of time uh, introspecting a lot. So I spend a lot of time uh, audio journaling. I audio journal every single day, like 10, 15 minutes talk about my day, talk about what happened, talk about how I feel, talk about what needs to change. You know, just talk to yourself a little bit. Um, and what that does is it really helps me to remove the baggage of the day and start afresh every every day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing I live by is I meditate twice a day, uh, 10 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes before I sleep. Um, I have to, otherwise I'm just not calm. It's a really intense company, intense space. So I meditate and and then and then I go on black Twitter for like at least one hour a day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's really more about the intrinsic and focusing on my values and what I'm excited about internally. Um, and then I'm then I'm perfectly okay. I'm taking notes. I'm mm. taking notes. I don't know about black Twitter. I think I already spent way too much time. <laughs> Everything else, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely taking notes. It's so important. Like just finding the time to just pause and reflect because we're so busy and actually can be intentional. So I really love that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. definitely. There's, also, there's also a lot of noise. Eh? And um, it's, it's part of the reason why I really like what you guys are doing is, is distilling ideas on a, in a place where you can kind of remove the noise from certain things. And um, yeah, I, I, I love what you guys are doing. And I think... Part of this is also a bit reflective for you guys as well, right? It's a bit of uh, a therapy uh, in terms of thinking about business, thinking about entrepreneurship and leadership and all this stuff. So appreciate you guys as well for, for doing this. No, well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on The Gist. And we're excited to 
follow your journey and what Orderin does next. Um, we really just appreciate you and what you've shared with us and our listeners. So thank you. The GIST is creating new African narratives through disseminating key lessons and best practices from some of the continent's leading entrepreneurs and businesses.